Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to Blitzcast number 76. Last week, we saw a big game between the Clemson Tigers and uh, and UNC. I don't think anybody expected that uh, Mac Brown's team was going to hang around against the Clemson Tigers. But the fact is, UNC scored a late touchdown and they decided to go for the two-point conversion in order to win the game. The score was 21-20. to Clemson Tigers were able to, to stop them and they, they won a, a close game. But nobody saw that coming, Ed. And it was just, it was a great college football game and it, it held us on the edge of our seat. And um, we saw that the Clemson Tigers can be vulnerable. Well, I give credit to the UNC Tar Heels. I thought I thought they played a great game, and I don't question Mac Brown's decision to go for a two-point conversion there. You know, go to win the game, win the game when you have the ball in your hands. Um, I don't I don't love the triple option call. I think there could have been a better call in that situation, but I I don't question the 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 choice to go for a two-point conversion there. No, it was an excellent call. Uh, I felt like if they were going to go into overtime, Clemson was going to win the game because we all know the weapons that they have on offense. They've got Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne. They've got all those wide receivers. I mean, Clemson was the favorite there. So once UNC scored that touchdown, it was a gutsy call, but it was the right call. I mean, Mac Brown was trying to end the game right there and was trying to surprise uh, Clemson with the two-point conversion. So... In my opinion, the right call, and uh, it, it just didn't turn out that way. But I want to make a case, Ed. Clemson, is, Clemson is a great team, Ed. Uh, obviously, they, they lost a few guys on the defensive line, and, um, and, and Trevor Lawrence was fantastic last year as a true freshman. He won the national championship and, and led them to, uh, to a win against a great Alabama team. But I'm not seeing it this year with Clemson. I'm just not seeing it with Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence is struggling right now. He's completing about 62% of his passes, eight touchdowns, five interceptions, and that's my biggest knock on him. He's forcing the ball into tight coverage. He's trusting his arm a little too much. He's not making good decisions consistently on a week-to-week basis. So in my opinion, what we saw against UNC makes me think that Clemson is vulnerable because right now I would have Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia and LSU ahead of Clemson and in my opinion I don't see him as a college football playoff type of team right now they just haven't proven it to me yet well I mean when you talk about the other teams like Oklahoma and Ohio State I don't think I don't think either of those teams have really played anybody um, you know Georgia's played Notre Dame and so you know Georgia has that but you know Clemson Clemson hasn't played anybody but Clemson also also, you know, they had a tough game early last year against Syracuse, and, you know, everyone was saying, well, you know, is Clemson overrated? Is Clemson overrated? And we saw this last year, and Clemson ended up being in the national champion when it counted. So I, I don't, I'm not worried about Clemson quite yet. I, wanna, I wanted to mention Bovada Sportsbook takes sports betters closer to the action. It's, it's fun, it's safe, and it's fast. And it's sports betting made easy. So go on Bovada and, uh, and make your picks. Let's continue with Clemson, Ed. Uh, look, I, I realize that they had a close game against Syracuse last year. Every team is going to have a close game. But I'm just not seeing it. Like th- this team 
was supposed to be the only weakness that I guess they had was on the defensive line because they had so many young guys. But all the weapons that they have on the offensive side of the ball, I just wish that this team was clicking a little bit more. And and USC is is not a powerhouse yet. Mac Brown hasn't had a chance to to build it into a huge powerhouse. So right now, again, uh, Clemson doesn't have a, a tough schedule coming up, but. If I pin them against Ohio State, against Georgia, against Alabama, against Oklahoma, I'm sure they'll come up with a great game plan and you know they'll be better than what they were last week. But I'm just I don't see them winning against those teams. Well, I think I think Clemson has proven it. You know they deserve to be number one because they've proven it in the previous year, and that's that's all we really have to go on. All right, let's let's get to uh, we've got a great week of college football coming up. Let's start with Auburn against Florida. Uh, the two SEC powerhouse teams, both teams are ranked in the top ten. Obviously, the Florida Gators don't have their starting quarterback and Felipe Franks, um, and Auburn has been great. You know, for all the haters like myself that want Gus Malzahn to to be gone and <laughs> to be fired. Uh, Auburn has definitely rebounded. They have a true freshman quarterback who is coming up with the magic of his own. And Bo Nix has been great. So the Gators are at home. Uh, Bovada has Auburn minus three. Uh, they have them as the favorite at minus three. Uh, what do you see? What, what can we expect in this game, Ed? You know, I think I think Auburn wins this game and covers the spread. They've they've really proven it this year. They they've had tough tests and they've proven it, you know, a couple times this year. So I'm I'm a believer in Gus Malzahn and Auburn at this point. I'm gonna go with Florida and I'm gonna make it interesting. I think they're at home. They're in Gainesville. I think you know Bo Nix has is is gonna feel that atmosphere. It's gonna be too much for him, and I just feel like. The Florida Gators are going to be able to force some pressure. They're going to make Bo Nix make a couple of mistakes, and I think that's going to be the difference. I think the Gators win this game. I think Dan Mullen is prepared, and the Gators were my pick to to be that surprise team. And I think they're going to make a move up after um, after beating Auburn. I'm not sure. Look, the, the Gators are not going to match up with you know Alabama or Ohio State or Georgia. That's not the point that I'm trying to make. What I'm trying to make is, you know, the, the Florida Gators are a lot better than people are giving them credit for. And I just think that Auburn is going to find out this week how good the, the Florida Gators really are. Um, let's go with another team. And this was preposterous, Ed. Uh, the, the spread that I saw. Look, Ohio State Buckeyes have certainly been the best team in the Big Ten so far. Um, and... I doubted Justin Fields and and Day, and I thought there was going to be a transition period, you know, with with Day taking over for Urban Meyer. Certainly has been has been great so far. It, it's been it's been smooth. The transition has been smooth. But Michigan State is Ohio State is favored at minus twenty one, and Bovada has this line minus twenty one favorite uh, over Michigan State. That's crazy, Ed. I mean, I've seen Michigan State. It's not a great offense, but Mike D'Antonio, Mark D'Antonio, he always has a great defense. And the thing is, Brian Lewerke has made it work as a senior. He hasn't been great as far as accuracy goes, but he's taking care of the ball. He's, he's being a good game manager. He's limiting those mistakes. 
He's thrown for 10 touchdowns and one interception. I just think the Spartans are being underrated here against Ohio State. You know, I think I think 21 is a lot for a Big Ten game. You know, even, even if Ohio State is the best team in the Big Ten. I, I agree with the spread, but, I mean, Ohio State has been a really good team. I mean, they, they are definitely my Big Ten favorite at this point. I mean, I, 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 I really retract my my Mich- picking Michigan to win the Big Ten. And, um, you know, Ohio State has rolled over everybody. But, I mean, this is this is the toughest game they've had all year. I mean, this is, this is, this is a real game. I'm going to be stubborn, Ed. I'm still going with Michigan. I'm probably insane based on what we've seen the yeah, past you're couple insane. of weeks. I am. Uh, but I'm still, you know, I'm sticking with my pick. I realize that Michigan has already lost to Wisconsin. And if the way they played against Wisconsin, there's no way they can beat Ohio State. But uh, I'm still going with, you know, Shea Patterson. I'm still going with Jim Harbaugh. I think they're going to pull off that upset at the end of the day. They, that, that will be the last game of the season, uh, the last regular season game um, between Michigan and Ohio State. Yeah, I think the Wolverines are going to get it done this year. Uh, I just, it, It's a hunch, Ed. I'm insane, so I'm sticking with my picks. I'm not throwing in the towel. Uh, I, I think Ohio State is going to get a tough test uh, from Michigan State this week. And I think they're definitely going to get a tough test against the Wolverines at the end of the regular season. I think the Wolverines still won that game, Ed. I'm still sticking with it. I'm not going to throw in that white towel like you. And when you're saying that game, you're talking about the Ohio State-Michigan game. And you're not talking about the Iowa versus uh, Michigan game, right? No, I'm not talking about this week's game between Iowa and Michigan Michigan. I'm talking about the Michigan-Ohio State game at the end of the season. I think the Wolverines are going to be peaking. Yeah, I think they're going to catch the Buckeyes right where they want them, and they're finally going to take that Big Ten title away from them. But I yeah. know you wanted. To, I know you wanted to talk about Iowa against Michigan. You told me off the air that you you've got Iowa against Michigan, right? Yeah, I know, I know that Michigan's the favorite, but I I think I think Iowa's not getting the respect they deserve. I mean, my, Iowa is a very solid football program, and you know they haven't been great. I mean, they had a tough test against Iowa State this year, but. I, I still think I still think they beat Michigan and I think they cover the spread. Well, they obviously cover the spread because they're the underdog. Well, Iowa is always the the most underappreciated team every year, and Kirk Ferentz. I mean, he's he's probably a guy that should be in the NFL. I mean, he's been there before and um, as a positional coach, and a lot of people try to pry him away from Iowa. I know he's happy being a, a college coach. Uh, but every year there seems to be a team that always tries to test the waters. And um, obviously Iowa has great offensive linemen. They had two tight ends that were drafted in the first round and TJ Hawkinson and uh, Noah Fant. And uh, they always have a good defense. And this year, Nathan Stanley, remember his name because he's going to be playing at the Senior Bowl, a very solid senior quarterback. Now, any other games you wanted to mention as far as college football? I know we went through Auburn, Florida, Ohio State, Michigan State, Iowa against Michigan. Any other surprises that, that I mean, you want to talk I'm, about? I mean, just going back to last week, I thought Notre Dame played a really good game on defense uh, against Virginia. I mean, that was a big game. And, you know, they took them pretty handily. And I think they had like four or five turnovers in that game defensive side, on the defensive side of the ball. So, 
I, I like what I see out of Notre Dame. I mean, they they could challenge for a top 10 position. Obviously, I don't think they're going to make it to the playoff like they did last year, but I, I still think this is a good team. Well, they are a good team. Brian Kelly has built uh, this program back up, and uh, I'm sure this team is still going to get like 10 or 11 wins this year. Um, so it, it looks like, again, the, the Irish are back, and Ian Book has looked good, and I'm glad that they didn't have a they didn't have a letdown against Virginia, because after that tough game against Georgia, I felt like they they could have had a down game and they didn't. So I'm I'm glad the Irish are are still on top, Ed, for your sake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <coughs> uh, you know, with 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 Notre Dame being you know a contender. I, I think I think it's just I think it's just overall I think it's just like good for college football. Um, my my thing is is that I think Ian Book is a good quarterback, but I don't know if they have the offense to really like challenge for a top four spot. And I mean, you know, with the, with the team and the tradition and so forth. I mean, you, you have to think that you know Notre Dame fans probably expect them to be sort of that you know top four team you know competing for a national championship i mean they want to bring back the glory days but i I don't know if they're quite there yet here's my problem with notre dame um look they made it into the college football playoff last year but i feel like this team they need to join a conference and i mean they they can't be this stuck up uh i just feel like notre dame thinks that they're different than, than anybody else out there. But every team out there has, has joined the conference. There are only a few independent schools. And, and the teams that are, are independent, they want to join some conference. They want some conference to take them. Notre Dame wants to be different. They, they continue to say, hey, we're an independent. We, we can schedule whatever we want. We can schedule USC. We can schedule Stanford. We, we can play against the likes of Georgia. Teams want to play us, but the problem is if they were, say, in the Big Ten Conference, they could face teams like Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan every year, and it would look a lot better on their schedule. That That's my biggest problem with Notre Dame. I've been saying it for, for years. It's like, I, like I'm blue in the face, you know? I, I keep saying it every year. Notre Dame has got to join the conference. They, they can't be what they are right now, just like an independent. Obviously, they proved me wrong last year by making the college football playoff. It's not going to work this year. But say they were in the Big Ten and say they played Wisconsin or Ohio State, Michigan, and beat two out of those three teams. They could legitimately challenge for a college football playoff with one or two losses. Because they're an independent and at times they have a soft schedule a little bit, uh, they're not able to to hide those, those losses that they have. So to me... Look, Notre Dame, get with the program. Time to join the conference. We're in the year 2019. We're not in 1993. So that's my biggest problem with the Irish, and I hope they realize that. I hope Brian Kelly will finally get them somewhere into some conference. It would be great to see Notre Dame in the SEC or the Big Ten or maybe the Big 12. I'm sure those conferences would love to have the Irish. But I, I just saw, I've always seen Notre Dame as special. I'm not a Notre Dame fan. Like I'm not a, you know, Notre Dame isn't my team. Like I, I don't, I don't follow Notre Dame religiously. I am a college football fan, but I'm, I'm a fan of another team. And I, I, I just, I think they, they, they just with the history and so forth, I think they're kind of special. 
And you know they they do they do sort of stack their schedule the right way in the sense that they seem to play some Power Five conference teams. But I mean, you know, they play like the USC's in the world, and they play some Big Ten schools. But they don't they don't seem to stack their schedule very very hard. You know, in the sense that like they they don't play the you know the Alabamas and the Clemsons really. I mean, they played Georgia this year, but. Um, you know they're really they're really favored. You know to win the rest of the. I think they're probably favored to win the rest of the way, just because you know they play they play power five schools. But it almost seems like they they're very careful, or or the, maybe they've just gotten lucky with the tr- traditional rivalries that they've had that they've scheduled. Why do we keep living in the past, Ed? Look, <clears throat> you're talking to a sta- you're talking to a Steeler fan, so just just. I, I realize that, so I'm trying to get through to a Steelers fan. Uh, and trying to get my point across about Notre Dame. Look, tradition is important, especially in college football. Notre Dame has a great history. And when we go through the years and all the head coaches that they had and all the national championship that they've gathered, it's great. It, It really is. But let's stop living in the past. We're in 2019, Ed. We're not in 1950s. This is not 1970s out there. Those head coaches are not walking through that door. Joe Montana is no longer going to be quarterback at at Notre Dame. We've got Ian Book. Ian Book is is a good quarterback, but not obviously Joe Montana. Uh, I'm just saying, stop living in the past. It's great to have that football tradition, but let's let's live here in the now. And and we've got to be a realist. If if they join a good a good <clears throat> Big Ten conference, say, they, they would have far more chances to, to compete and get more on the national stage because every week they'll have Iowa, Wisconsin, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, um, instead of throwing you know, the Georgias and the Virginias and the Stanfords and the USC's. And then in between, you've got you know, FIU and UMass and some of those softies out there. You don't have that on the Big Ten schedule. Every week you have to compete and you have to bring your A game. So I respect their football tradition but you, we're living in the present right now, and I think Notre Dame has got to catch up with the present. You know, the stadium might be beautiful. The uniforms might be, you know, state-of-the-art, perfect, you know, gold. But, I mean, there are just certain things about Notre Dame football that just kind of keep their charm. You know, just the, the sign, you know, play like a champion today. Just just little things like that. Just, it, it, it's, it's all, it, it's... I mean, it just reminds us of a, of of a different time, and I think that nostalgia. And so, I I just I think it would be giving up something big for Notre Dame to change its ways. Look, I, I love the tradition. I love the Rudy movie. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan, you know, Rudy, Rudy. <laughs> but look, the thing is, you got to live in the present day, in the present time. Why does Notre Dame think that? It's a lot more special than, say, USC or Oklahoma or Ohio State or Alabama, for that matter. I mean, those teams play in the conference, and and they get to compete on the national stage every year. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they play in a major conference. And <clears throat> Notre Dame just, they got to get with the times, and they really do. And I, I hope one of these days, I hope in the next couple of years, I'm going to see Notre Dame in some conference instead of being an independent. This isn't a vendetta against Notre Dame. I'm I'm neutral when it comes to these things, and I respect the football tradition at any major college football program. I, I love watching those 
college football games every week. I'm a big fan. I really am. I don't have a favorite team in college football, but I'm just, like you said, I'm a college football fan. And I just, Notre Dame has got to roll with the times. They, they got to get in the now. Uh, let's, let's move on to the NFL, Ed. I think the, right. the biggest I think the biggest game that kind of threw shockwaves through the NFL and I didn't expect that to be honest with you. I don't think anybody expected it. The Bucks scored 55 points on the Rams. <clears throat> the Rams got their points. I mean, they scored over 40 points. Goff threw for over 500 yards and well like three or four touchdowns. He also threw a couple of picks, but the defense was horrible. It was against the Bucks, Ed. The Bucks looked terrible in the beginning of the season, especially their offensive line. Jameis Winston was running for his life. You know, that offensive line looked against Aaron Donald and company. It looked quite good. And uh, they, Winston was able to stand in there and just toss it around like it was backyard football, like he was back in at Florida State when he won the national championship. Winston threw four touchdowns. Godwin uh, had a career receiving day. He scored a couple of touchdowns as well. The Bucks could do no wrong, with the exception of that one interception that Winston threw to Marcus Peters, which was returned for a touchdown. The Rams couldn't stop him at all. Well, I, I think this game is kind of one of those outliers. I mean, I don't I just don't see I just don't see the Bucks going much farther than the Rams this year. I certainly think the Rams have one of the better defenses in the league and I I you know, they've had bad they've had bad games. I mean, I think of the Rams game last year. They had that shootout against Kansas City last year. I think it was on Monday Night Football. It was some primetime game. But you know, they've had they've had bad defensive games before, but I mean, it's just, it, it really is a product of the fact that the rules are stacked against these defenses. I still think the Rams are, are one of the better defensive teams in the league. Really? After the Bucks put up 55 points? Yeah. Against them? I, I, I guess I'm watching I, something different. But, but, but Bucks, just, look, just look at the talent on that side of the ball. I mean, you're talking about the talent. Aaron no, the talent is great. I mean, we talked about Aaron Donald, uh, Aaron Donald a couple of weeks ago. I do realize that they have Marcus Peters. I, I realize that they have a good secondary. The talent is definitely there when you look at the names. But what the hell is going on? They're certainly not playing up to that talent level. Well, I mean, just just the names uh, itself. I mean, I'm not even. I, I I'm not really a big believer in Marcus Peters. I mean, I think they should trade him. You know, and I I think he'll he'll be traded. You know, a lot of his career. I think I think he he's shown in the last couple of years that he's overrated. But you know, you're talking about you know guys like Aaron Donald and you know, guy you know just just it just seems like you know Fowler's having a good year and just you know it just it, it just seems like at every position they have somebody who you, who who you have to respect on their defensive side of the ball and um, you know that well, that's that that's on why. paper on paper the Rams defense looks great. I mean, we could just pencil the men into the Super Bowl. They've got a good offense. They've got a great defense based on the names. But if it was all based on the names, we could just quit right now and show up in February and put the Rams and the Patriots there in the Super Bowl once again if it was based on the personnel and, and the names and, and the superstars. But unfortunately, you play the games every Sunday or Thursday or, or Monday. Uh, you got to show up every week. And the fact is, the Rams' defense, this isn't only about the 55 points against that the Bucks put up on them. The Rams' defense hasn't been good all year. 
maybe nobody has put up 40 or 50 points on them. They've scored 30 or, or 24. I've watched this Rams defense, and they just they haven't been sharp all year long. As far as the names, they look scary. But when those names show up on the football field, teams can move the football on them. And my problem is also with Sean McAvey. Look, we've... We've hailed him to be this this great offensive coach. I've I've talked about it. It's impressive what he's done for such a young guy. But he's got to run the football. Goff can't throw the football 60 times a game. What's happened to Todd Gurley? I mean, why don't they just admit that Gurley has got bad knees? And then they should insert Daryl Henderson in or Malcolm Brown. And put some healthy bodies out there have healthy running backs out there because when Gurley is getting less than 10 carries a game, you're not going to win that many games, especially in the playoffs. Well, if I'm the Rams, I mean, I'm thinking next draft, they're probably going to be picking towards the end of the first round. There's a lot of first round talented running back. I, I would, I would really be taking a big, a good look at this running back class if I'm the Rams. I just look, I'm, I, I love Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley was one of the most complete backs when he came out and he was drafted 10th overall by the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, he's a complete back. He really is. But it looks like he's on his last legs. And, and this knee issue, it's not going away. It seems to be chronic. I mean, there's, there's a reason why he's out there. They want to have him out there because he's a good pass protector. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. But this guy, it's pretty obvious during the early part of this season, this isn't the guy that's going to carry the ball 25, 30 times a game consistently. So you got to insert some other running backs out there that are capable of, of picking up and, um, you know, and, and doing some things. He just he doesn't look like a threat out there. And I have a feeling that it has a lot to do with this injury, and, and the Rams are just being silent about it. Why just... Why not sit him out for a half a season? Why not get him ready for, for the second second half of the regular season and for the playoffs? Just do something. It's just, I, I don't get it. I mean, you're not going to win many football games, especially even in the regular season, if you don't have any balance. You've got to be able to run the football and throw it. Right now, it looks like the Rams are turning into a, a passing offense. And Goff is going to put up some huge fantasy numbers, but he's also going to make mistakes like he did against the Bucks. That's that. That's my issue with the Rams. Let's find some balance. And if if Gurley isn't a hundred percent, let's put some other running backs out there. You know, I, I just think running backs are so fungible in today's NFL. It's just, I mean, to think to think that these guys can even last ten years is. Unfortunately, not true anymore. And I mean, is it fair to the running backs in this league? No. I mean, it's not fair. But the truth is, the truth is, is that I mean, Todd Gurley in his prime was a good running back. But I still, I still question whether the why they took him number ten. I mean, why you take a running back at number ten? I don't understand. I mean, I, unless it's Jonathan Taylor. But other than Jonathan Taylor, I, I don't understand taking taking a running back in the in the top ten. I think for a long, long time, NFL teams agreed with you. But then all of a sudden there was a resurgence uh, in taking running backs in the top 10. And we saw this with Todd Gurley. And then we saw Ezekiel Elliott uh, being taken number four overall. Leonard Fournette Fournette was taken fourth overall by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And by the way, great game from him. The, The Jaguars once again won the game. And it was behind Leonard, the big Leonard Fournette, who had like 225 rushing yards. He... He looked like the type of running back that we saw at LSU, at least for that, that brief week. 
And then obviously Saquon Barkley was taken second overall. And Christian McCaffrey was taken in the top 10 by the Carolina Panthers. So for the longest time, NFL teams agreed with you. They stayed away from running backs in the first round. All of a sudden, there was a resurgence with, with the Todd Gurley's and the Melvin Gordons. And they started carrying the, their offenses. And teams, once again, reverted back to taking these guys in the top 10. And there you go. You think that Jonathan Taylor is worthy of a top five pick. Yeah, well, he. I mean, I mean, this is this is a draft where really you're gonna have to overdraft running. You're gonna have to overdraft at certain positions, and you know th- this is a year you get your running back and you get your receiver because um, I just I just don't see the defensive talent on that that side of the ball, and that's really why. But I mean, you know, uh, the, the you can get you can get good running backs throughout the draft. I mean, we've seen guys get taken on day three become good starting running backs. We've seen guys get taken on day two become all stars. We've seen guys, you know, go in the first round and also be stars. But, you know, when you when you think about the risk and the difference between the different rounds, you start to think, wow, you know, why not why not wait with these running backs? You know, why 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 wait why take them in the first round when you can get good ones on day two or you can get feature backs on day two who can start right away and why why not wait till day three to get to, to fill up your roster with guys you can help. I agree with you. You can you can find running backs on day three and even in, as undrafted free agents. And and the fact that the the wear and tear uh, that these running backs take as in college and then in the NFL, on average, I mean these guys will last five to seven years and at best. And is that is that smart taking a guy in the first round? Have him play out his five years and then not get the second contract at all. So I think you can spend a first round pick, and we'll have this debate obviously, and during the when we get closer to the NFL draft because we we keep talking about this. There are going to be like four or five running backs that are going to be taken, or at least talked about in the first round. Uh, we're going to have this debate, but I've always been um, of the mindset that you could take running backs on day two day three or even fine guys as undrafted free agents it's it's too much of a risk i can take a defensive player that's going to be a pro bowl type of guy for the next 10 or 12 years and stay taking a running back um in the top 10 or in the first round that's only going to give me like a good four or five years and i don't think the the, that reward is worthy of of taking uh, that type of guy a running back in the first round well, you know, this should say something about the running backs that we're talking about really four guys who who should go in the first round. I mean, that that should say a lot about what the quality of these prospects are. I mean, you know, from Dobbins to ETN to Swift to Jonathan Taylor. I mean, these are guys these are these are guys who are all feature backs who are all I mean, I think I think these are all guys who can be top 20 backs in the league. Well, you know, the, the running backs, with all due respect, again, I'm reverting back on this. I'm saying that I wouldn't take a running back in the first round. But if you look at those running backs that were taken in the first round recently, Christian McCaffrey, Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon, Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette, um, those guys were able to, to lead their teams into the playoffs. Besides Saquon Barkley and Leonard Fournette last year, all those guys that I've mentioned that were drafted in the first round, they were able to contribute and were the, the key cogs 
behind the resurgence of those respective teams that that drafted them in the first round. Yeah, I understand. I just, I just I build the team differently. I think. I mean, you know, when when I when I really want to build a team, I, I really want to you know obviously have a good quarterback. Everybody wants a good quarterback, and I really like to build up at the line of scrimmage. I mean, I I feel like sometimes, you know, it's it's more important to me to have good guards and good and even good run blocking tackles in the running game than to have than to have a a, a good feature back. I mean, that's just. That's just that's just how I see the game. I see a lot of running, you know, done at the line of scrimmage. I just think a lot of teams forget about that. I mean, we see Andrew Luck before last year, the way he was running for his life because he didn't have a good offensive line. We've continued to see it with Deshaun Watson, even though Houston Texans have tried to do everything in their power by drafting guys in the first round, by trading for Laramie Tunsil. Teams are trying to address the offensive line. They realize that they have to protect their $100 you know, million dollar investments out there. But unless you have a good offensive line, quarterbacks are going to be running for their lives and they're, they're going to have a, a short NFL life. And I just think some teams forget about it. They, they really do until it's too late. And I think the Colts found out <laughs> that it, it is pretty late. Once they, they got that offensive line, Andrew Luck was already on his last legs. And uh, obviously, you know, I'm talking about him walking away from the game. So I would definitely build through the trenches, offensive line, defensive line. And then, you know, it's a passing league. you, you got to get your quarterback. you got to get those wide receivers on a tight end in order to be able to compete. But uh, I can always find running backs. Again, I... I can find you know, one running back on day two. I can find another guy as an undrafted free agent and, and use them in different ways. And uh, I always felt like running backs are replaceable in this league. Um, Ed, uh, let's, let's talk about the Saints. Uh, Saints defense stepping up against the Dallas Cowboys. The, the Cowboys, you and I talked about this this past week. I mean, the Cowboys look unstoppable. Dak Prescott was on fire through the first three games. The, the Cowboys' offense was was also firing on all cylinders with Jason Witten and Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott, and Dak Prescott was behind it all. But the Saints won the game 12-10. to 10. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Yeah, I mean, especially with Drew Brees out, you know, a lot of people were thinking, you know, or even, even, I, even I said it on this show that, I thought I thought the Saints were gonna kind of coast and just have to kind of stay in it, but their defense, I mean, give them credit. They've they've made them, you know, they have made them basically not have to skip a beat, you know, with Drew Brees gone. And um, you know, I, I I still stand behind my statement that Teddy Bridgewater is the best backup quarterback in the NFL. But he's got to play better, and I, I love Teddy Bridgewater. I loved him when he was coming out of the draft. I, I thought the Vikings got a steal when they drafted him, thirty second overall, and. At the end of the first round, obviously we all know the freak injury that he suffered. Now he's with the Saints, but he's got to play better, Ed. I mean, he's just dinking and dunking. He He's never been a great deep ball thrower, even in college, but he's got to threaten that defense a little bit. I mean, you can't just, you know, throw wide receiver screens and, and you know, flare passes to Alvin Kamara. I mean... People are going to be sitting on it. you got to challenge the defense a little bit. And Teddy is an accurate quarterback. He puts the ball where he needs to. He's got great ball placement. He's just got to be, uh, you know, he's got to threaten the defense a little bit. I'm not expecting him to throw 50 yards downfield, but 
you know, God damn it, throw the ball in the middle of the field for 15 to 20 yards. You're capable of doing that. that that's my biggest problem with him right now. Fair enough. Uh, you want to go on to maybe like some of our picks and stuff like well, that? Well, we've and... got, yeah, Bavada has got, we talked about the Bucks and the Saints and they're playing this week and uh, Bavada has the Saints as the favorite at minus three over the Bucks, and um, the, the Cowboys are the favorites uh, minus 3.5 over the Packers. So uh, we talked about those two teams. Let's talk about the Browns, Ed. Uh, the offense woke up against the Ravens. I don't think anybody gave the, the Browns a chance, and I think Baker Mayfield operates better when he's got a chip on his shoulder. But it wasn't all Baker. It was the Nick Chubb show against the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting to see the AFC North. I it really, it really looked like the Ravens were going to run away with the AFC North, but I mean, this this was a statement game for the for the Browns to say, like, look, you know, we we could be contenders in this division. You know, it, it seemed it seems like a two horse race at this point, and you know, the and and they made it a two horse race basically by winning that game. Uh, it definitely is. It definitely is. And we've got, you know, we talked about the Rams. The Rams are playing against the Seahawks on Thursday night, which is tonight. And that, that's going to be an exciting game. And Bovada has got, uh, the, the, has the Seahawks as the favorites in that game at minus 1.5. So we're going to see if the Rams are going to be able to, to come up and, and play a better defensive game against Russell Wilson. Uh, this week. Um, Ed, let's move on to our scouting reports. Every week we, uh, we cover a couple of prospects and it seems like you and I have been struggling to find some defensive prospects to talk about, but we keep finding wide receivers and running backs to talk about. The guy that we're talking about this week on the offensive side of the ball is Tylen Wallace, the wide receiver from Oklahoma State. Tell me, what are his strengths? I'm sorry. Um, you know, I think I think the thing that he is is uh, I think he's a good route runner. Um, I really like the way he cuts. Um, I think he's a guy who's a physical blocker. You know, he's a guy who can come up with a 50-50 catch. Um, you know, he lines up in the slot and the outside, so he's 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 definitely versatile. Um, the I guess the biggest problem with Tylen Wallace, and I think he is a first rounder, but I think drops are a big problem with him. It definitely is. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, and I think the, the 50-50 balls is where he struggles. Uh, it's those catches over the middle. Uh, he's kind of hit and miss in that regard. I really love the way he... He's a big-time deep threat. Oklahoma State loves to throw the ball deep. And especially last year, um, he, he, looked, he was the go-to guy with James Washington gone. He took on that role as a sophomore, and he's just... Big time guy. I mean, he locates the ball so well. And I think those Oklahoma State wide receivers, they always do a good, good job with that. James Washington did it in his college days. And Tylen Wallace does it as, as, good as, as good as anyone. I could actually make a case that he's probably the, the best deep threat in college football right now as we speak. I mean, regardless of Jerry Judy, he's also a terrific deep threat. But I just, I love the way Tylen Wallace can attack the ball while it is in the air and the way he tracks it over his shoulder. Uh, he does it so smoothly. But the drops are a huge issue. 
A lot of it has to do is when he uh, he sits in that zone coverage in the middle of the field, when he hears the defender coming, he turns his head before he secures the ball. He doesn't have a big time catching radius. I don't think he has small hands, but they're not huge by any means. That That's probably my biggest problem. Those drops are have were evident in 2018, and he's continuing to have a few of them in 2019 as well. There's one thing I like about his game that, you know, is sort of a little bit hidden, but I think really makes him, like, worth a first-round flyer. Um, you know, he, he sinks his hips when he's route running, and he does it really smoothly and really well. I, I really think he has good technique in his route running. I mean, is that something you're seeing from him, too? Yeah, he does those subtle things. Like, he, he'll use his hands to push off uh, at the top of his route. He understands the the subtleties of getting open, especially at the top of his route. but And he is quick when he's coming out. The, the only thing is, Oklahoma State doesn't use him. He's, he doesn't run the full route tree at Oklahoma State. It's not because he's not capable of doing it. It's just they don't ask him to do it. And he's not a guy that, that's just running you know every route in the book. They ask him to write some quick outs. He runs some curls. He... He runs stop-and-go routes, those double moves. They look good as well, and obviously he's a vertical threat as well. I would just like to see a, a few more posts, a few more slants. I would just like Oklahoma State offense to kind of expand it a little bit. I think they're, they're just not using him right. So when you talk about he's a good route runner, you, you see those little things, but we don't see enough of it in that Oklahoma State offense. Yeah, another thing, another thing that you know kind of endears me to him. You know, it, it's not it's not always something you see from these first round receivers, but I really see it with him. Is he's a he's a good blocker, but really what I like about him is he's a physical blocker. You know, he plays with alacrity. It's something he seems to really value and take importance in. And you know, I mean, it, it, I I think I think it, I think it's somewhat it's somewhat underrated, but you know, it says something about his character to be a guy who you know, could be a first rounder and really, you know, putting his body on the line while he's blocking. See, I think the question with him, um, when people, I'm sure he's going to come out as a junior, but I think the question with him uh, about him being a possible first rounder is going to be whether he's a 4-4 guy. If he doesn't run in the 4-4s, if he runs somewhere in the 4-5s, it's not going to signal to NFL teams that he can be the go-to receiver. That's the reason why James Washington dropped because, you know, on, on the field, he looked like he was quick and he had that game speed against Big 12 quarterbacks. But I have that question mark with Tylen Wallace as well. Is, is he a product of that system? And is he more of a 4-5 guy? And will he be able, if he's a 4-5 guy, then he's going to struggle to take the top off the defense at the NFL level. Because usually we see guys like Deshaun Jackson and Marquise Brown take the top of the def- top of the defense on in the NFL level because they're four three guys. My question mark is his speed, and I think that's going to be the difference between him being a, a first round guy and a day two guy. See, I think the difference between him being a first round guy and being a day two guy is his drops. As I I see on tape, you know, burner speed. I. You know, you the know. number that, the, the you number. know that's really that's really like we saw it with James Washington as well. He ran away against big twelve cornerbacks. He ran a four or five. I, I think Tylen Wallace is more quick than he is fast. So 
I, I don't think he is a, a deadly deep threat. I don't think he's a four four guy. That, that's all I'm saying. But I, I do think I do think he is going to stretch the field. He is he is the type of guy who like at the NFL level who's going to stretch the field. He may not be he may not be like what the you know the 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 defense is most afraid of you know beating you deep. But you know he's gonna he's gonna win deep and he's gonna he's gonna be you know a, a definitely a valuable receiver in an attacking offense. Well, like like I said, Tylen Wallace is off to a great start right now. Looks like he's going to have another great year. He already has. 28 receptions for over 600 yards. He is, he's got an insane average per catch. It's over 22 yards right now, and he's got six touchdowns already. So he's the go-to guy in the Oklahoma State offense. He's going to continue to stretch the field, and that's what he does well. He is, he's a big-time deep threat, but he's got to clean up those drops. And, and the other thing, he doesn't get challenged in press coverage. And, and when he does... He struggles a bit. He, he's got to get a little bit more physical in that regard. You talk about him being physical at the line of scrimmage when he's blocking for his teammates, and he is. He's tenacious. He really puts in the effort. But I want to see him be more physical when he gets challenged at the line of scrimmage. And I think he's got to get bigger. I mean, he's about 5'11 and a half. 185 pounds. He's got to bulk up a little bit more. Might have a little bit of a problem like like Calvin Ridley is having currently right now. So, and Calvin Ridley was a much better route runner when he was coming out of college. So in my opinion, he's got to put on about five or 10 pounds of muscle before we're talking about Tylen Wallace as also a first round pick. So being a first round pick, but being, you know, the size was something I wanted to ask you about. I mean, is this guy big enough? And, you know, let's say he clears up the drops. Is this guy, is this guy a number one receiver in the league? Is he, is I don't he, think he is. I don't think he is. It's the same problem I have with Calvin Ridley. I, I didn't think that Calvin Ridley was a number one wide receiver in the NFL. I, I thought he was a good number two. And if you're talking about a guy going in the top 10, top 15 as a wide receiver, you want him to become a number one type of guy like A.J. Green or, or Julio Jones. And, and that's why I think Tylen Wallace is more of a late first round guy. To me, he's more of a day two guy. Because uh, I just think he's, he's just not physical enough. He's not big enough. And in my opinion, he's not, he's not the speedster that Deshaun Jackson is or, or Marquise Brown. And, and I think that's the difference, Ed. Even when he gets to 190, 195 pounds, he's never going to be over 200. So that, that's, that's one of my issues out there. I think Tylen Wallace can be a really good number two, but I don't think he's ever going to become a number one in an NFL offense. Uh, Let's move on to the defense, Ed. Um, It seems like every week we're talking about an Alabama defender. Uh, We we did it last year, and we're talking about another Alabama guy this year. Let's talk about safety, Xavier McKinney. Um, And I do think he's a much better uh, safety prospect than, uh, than Deontay Thomason was when he was coming out last year. And obviously he was drafted in, in the beginning of the fifth round by the Arizona Cardinals. But Alabama has a great history with safeties lately. Um, I, I can list you the names. Ha-ha, Clinton Dix, Landon Collins. Um, De- uh, you know, I mentioned Deontay Thompson, but they've got Minka Fitzpatrick as well. Ronnie um, Harrison. Al- Ronnie Harrison. Guys that were drafted 
high, whether it's in the first round or on day two or in the case of Deontay Thompson, he was drafted in the fifth round. But Alabama has a history with these safeties ever if we go back to like 2010, 2011. So Xavier McKinney seems to be a special athlete with good speed and seems to be the next guy in line who, who should be a first-round pick, Ed. Yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't know if I'm like totally sold on him being a first-round pick. I, I could see it. I could see it, but I could also not see it. I mean, a lot of it kind of depends on the year he has and the combine he has. So the things I'm seeing, the things I'm seeing on tape is that I think he has good instincts in the deep zone, but I, I kind of question his his instincts against the run. It seems like he can kind of get caught, you know, reading the run, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of a pass. I mean, there's sort of that famous play with DK Metcalf beating Alabama deep, and all of a sudden people were thinking, oh, you know, is Ole Miss gonna upset Alabama? And obviously Alabama routed Ole Miss in that 2018 game, but. That was one thing. Well, wasn't that the first game of the season? I don't think it, I think it was the first game in the SEC, but I don't think it was the first game of the season. Well, you you got to remember Xavier McKinney. That was that was his first year starting. Uh, he wasn't a starter during his freshman season. So um, obviously that that famous play when he had deep responsibility, and for some reason he decided to take the short. Um, you know, the short receiver, the short slot receiver, he jumped that route and Metcalf took it for the touchdown. So, I mean, he's a guy that got better as the season progressed last year. Um, yeah, that, that was definitely a bad play. And he can't be undisciplined at times, whether it's against the pass or against the run as well. And I actually feel better about him being a strong safety than a free safety at the next level because I didn't see enough of that last year. I didn't see him being that single high safety. And that was that was Deontay Thompson. That was his responsibility. Uh, McKinney played more to the line of scrimmage. But I really love what he does in man coverage, Ed. I mean, he can match up against those speedy SEC slot receivers. He doesn't have a problem staying with them. He's got good speed. He's a really good athlete. And he's very good in... in and man coverage, and you feel good about him. He's got instincts as well to, to undercut some passes and uh, to jump those routes. Kind of reminds me of Eddie Jackson a little bit, another guy that we kind of forgot about. We talked about those great safeties coming out of Alabama. We forget the, the type of safety that Eddie Jackson has, has turned into with, with the Chicago Bears. So you see some of that. I think he is, he's an all-around safety that can do some things. Do have, we do have some question marks about him and in, in, uh, when he's playing against the run. Uh, there's no question about it. Sometimes he takes bad angles, takes himself out of those plays, and, and that's something he's got to work on. But I love his fluid hips. Uh, I love his instincts. I love his man coverage. I like his speed, and I think those things are going to go a long way in him being a, a first-round pick in next year's draft. See, I see him in a little bit different role. I see him being that kind of... I, I know he's played more, like, a little bit more of a strong safety role in Alabama's defense. But I like him more as the free safety type. You know, the type that, like, is asked to cover in the slot and then, you know, kind of plays the zone, the deep zone. I think those are two good roles for him. I think when you ask him to play in the box, I don't think he reads the run right. I don't think... I don't know. I don't t- trust him as much to be in the right place. But I do think... I trust him to be in the right place when he's playing the deep zone. Uh, it's it's a difference of opinion, obviously. Like I said, there's 
how can I project a guy who hasn't played that role? How can I project him in the NFL if he hasn't done it at Alabama? Obviously, it's it's a projection. What, what I do see a little bit of is I see a little bit of Minka Fitzpatrick in him because he can do some, some of those things. He can line up as a corner uh, against the slot receiver. Uh, he can he can go up in the box. He, he, I, I, he can line up, I guess. He's got, I mean, you can project him as a single high safety. So you see a little bit of Minka Fitzpatrick in him, but it's more of a projection for you when, when you talk about him being a, a free safety at the next level because that, that's something that he hasn't done. True, but I, I I think it's a better role for him. I I just I I just don't I don't see a guy who was really I mean like he, he his tackle numbers must be less than a lot of Alabama strong safeties over the years. I just I, I just don't I just don't see him being the guy to come up with a lot of tackles. Fair enough. Uh, like I said, it's uh, it's a good argument. I'm sure it's an argument that we'll have when we're talking about Xavier McKinney. Uh, when we talk about him once he comes out for the 2020 NFL draft, but he is, he's the next guy in line for that Alabama secondary. Um, uh, the next future first round pick at, at safety. And again, Alabama has had really good ones uh, through the years. Uh, I wanted to switch up, Ed. Um, obviously, I watched the Bucks against the Rams, and this is going to be my closing statement. And I, I saw the Bucks put up 55 points against the Rams and a lot of people are saying oh Bruce Arians is is just he's the difference maker for Jameis Winston and, and maybe he is uh, I want to see Winston put up another great performance next week and the following week before I'm able to say that I've been a Jameis Winston believer uh, as long as I can remember ever since he came out of the draft and I hope Bruce Arians is He's pointing him in the right direction. But I wanted to put my focus on a defensive player that's been kind of forgotten. And I think he should be in the defensive MVP uh, award conversation. A lot of people are focusing on Khalil Mack, and he's having a great season. But I wanted to talk about Shaq Barrett. Shaq Barrett was... He was with the Broncos, but he never got a, f- share, a, a fair shake with them. He was, he was a backup guy that they brought in and on third downs because he was playing behind Vaughn Miller and, and Bradley Chubb, and he was kind of the forgotten man in free agency. You know, the Bucks signed him to a one-year, $5 million deal, and this guy's been on fire. I mean, he's come up with nine sacks so far. Uh, he is... He, he leads the NFL in pressures with 28. Uh, again, nine sacks and, and turnovers caused by pressure, which is four. And he's just been all over the field. And, and Shaq Barrett is earning himself a big-time contract right now because in that Todd, Todd Bowles 3-4 defense, he's looking deadly. He, he's getting his chance to perform on every down. He's been, you know, he's been the focal point of that defense. And... I just I love watching him play. I mean, ever since that that Thursday night win against Carolina, when he had a three sack breakout, uh, this guy is continuing to put pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And again, the Los Angeles Rams they didn't have an answer for him. So I just wanted to do a a quick shout out out there for Shaq Barrett because he deserves to be in the defensive MVP conversation. I, I my my closing statement is around the Bills. I I guess I I guess I, I want to put an apology. I I sort of thought 
I sort I sort of underestimated the Bills this year. I mean, I didn't really realize that their defense was really as good as it was, and um, you know they really showed it against the Patriots this year. And really, I mean, they're a, they're an injured starting quarterback away from you know coming back in that Patriots game and winning that game, and or even or even you know challenging them at the end. Um, they lost by six points to the Patriots, but. They they very well could have you know driven with Josh Allen down the field and and won that game against the Patriots on that last drive. So, I'm I, I you know I give I give the I give the Bills credit. I mean they they they've sort of been under the radar this year and um, you know they 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 keep winning and they've 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 looked good in every game they've played so far. So um, you know I I think they get they have a chance of maybe being a wild card team this year. Well, Sean McDermott was a great defensive coordinator. Once he got the job with the Buffalo Bills, they, they've turned that unit around. They, they have some guys, and they're, they're playing as, as a whole, as a unit. And that defense has definitely been lights out. It was actually really good last year, and it's even better this year. They made Tom Brady look like a rookie quarterback at times. But you know what? Josh Allen is still trash, Ed. I mean, he, <laughs> he let his team down, even before that concussion. And maybe the Bills, maybe you would have had some magic there at the end if it wasn't for that injury. Josh Allen is still trash. I mean, if he would have at least taken care of the football, the Bills could have won that game. But he's, you know, he's still having turnovers and still missing wide open wide receivers. And look, it's, it, it's nothing different. Josh Allen was, was getting too much of the hype for the Buffalo Bills winning those games, but it should be the defense, not Josh Allen, because we saw what, what Josh Allen does against a quality defense like the Patriots. All right, you ready to close right. it out? Yeah, this was Blitzcast number 76. I'm Alex Kavtoff for my uh, co-host and partner, Ed Hunt. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Take care.